Welcome everybody to the Bristol Youth Work Podcast, brought to you in partnership with Bristol Youth Ministry Network and Muller's Bristol. My name is Mike Wayne and I'd like to wish you all a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, whether you've been on your own with friends or family, whether it's been a good one or a bad one, just thoughts are with you all and prayers for next year that as we enter 2021 together, uh, we'll be moving on into better things. Today is our final episode of the first season of this Bristol Youth Work podcast. Let me remind you again, you can go back and check out all the old episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on our website, bymn.org. Please do check them all out. We've had some great guests, plenty more great guests lined up for our second series soon. Um, But to finish off today, we've got a very special guest, and that is in fact me. I'm going to be being interviewed today. Tables have turned, uh, and our guest interviewer is none other than my own brother, Dan Wayne. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us, Dan. This is actually Dan's idea uh, a little while ago. As a listener of the podcast, Dan suggested that he could interview me as someone who knows me better than pretty much anyone in the world, would have some thoughts and some questions. So, um, yeah, thanks for stepping in and doing this. You're welcome. No, I, d- I just thought, as someone that's been in the game for a long time, you would have a lot to share, a lot to offer. And I'm sure our lovely listeners would appreciate hearing some of your story and some of your thoughts and things. Yeah, it's exciting. I am, um, yeah, kind of episode by episode, interview by interview, get to hear other people's thoughts and think, what would I answer to that? So I guess today we'll find out. Great. Well, firstly, how are you doing? How's it going? How's lockdown been? What a year? It's been all right, actually. Uh, it's b- yeah, I'm doing well. Um, lockdown suits me, uh, as you well know. Um, know. It occurs to me that this basically this whole interview you'll either know before I'm going to say something or it's something that you should probably know about me that will be a surprise to you. That'll be fun to watch. But as you well know... But it's um, about the people, right? It's about everyone. It's about all of us. Everyone listening in. Um, as you well know, uh, I like my own company. Uh, I'm not massively social. I've got kind of a relatively small group of friends I enjoy seeing from time to time. Um, so yeah, lockdown itself. I've been able to work from home. I started my new job in April, which is a bit of a transition period. Um, but I've been able to work largely from home, go out when it was safe to, to see young people, uh, and otherwise just me and Emily at home, uh, I don't mind that, it's all right. So I think I managed, been sad to be away from family and not to be able to go out on the particularly on those nice days to go and see friends, but, um, it's just how it goes. Yeah. Did you get lots of good movies in or lots of music or playing or? (laughs) What did I do? Yeah, I've... I set out, I had such high aspirations, I think everyone did, um, for things I could achieve. thought I was going to read loads and loads. read a bit, but I didn't read nearly as much as I wanted to. Uh, watched a lot of TV, more than movies. Although I did re-watch all the Star Wars recently, which that was nice. Emily hasn't seen those before. Um, Favourite episode? I like episode six. I like uh, It's kind of old, but I like the Ewoks, they're fun. Uh, story developed at that point, a bit more complex. Um, I'm going to back to watch the new ones yet, actually, so I have to rewatch those soon. But I think, yeah, the old ones are my favourites. But I do like the uh, the episodes one, two, and three came out when we were young. So Dan's only two years y- older than me. Um, so growing up, we shared a lot of experience. So yeah, they came out when we were young. So I um yeah, I've got some memory of watching those at a young age and then rewatching them when I was older and then rewatching them again. So uh, yeah, they're all a bit different. Yeah, and for those of you, I don't know how many of you have met Mike and how many times you have, but he, well, both of us actually, like to think of ourselves as Chewbacca 
Imp- impressionists. Um. <laughs> we do, <laughs> we do. <laughs> Got to shout out to um, Tim Perkin for that one. So he's not going to be listening, but uh, I'm sure we we should spare them the. Whoa. I don't think I've explained that in the microphone. I, I'm not going to go for it. But that was better. That was, that nice. was better. <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> Just got the right amount of phlegm in the throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Didn't see uh, that one coming. No. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in there. Well, obviously you're a youth worker. Yep. In many shapes and forms. Mm-hmm. When you're not a youth worker, who are you? What do you do? What do you like doing? What are you passionate about? I see myself as a, as a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, which I've seen as a bad thing in the past, that I, I kind of do lots of different things. I was a bit of an all-rounder at school, kind of academically quite bright, but quite sporty, quite musical, uh, but never, like, the best at anything, really, but good at most things. Um, and then I got into youth work and realised that was really helpful, that any young person, if they were into music, I could relate a bit. If they were into sport, I could join in a bit. If they were, I don't know, reading something deep, I could get involved with that. So that suited me. Um, most of my time is spent when I'm not working uh, watching the rugby big Wasps yeah. fan watching the Wasps game today that was shout good out. big shout out to Wasps uh, and then I enjoy a beer I enjoy craft particularly like the kind of new craft beer scene big on that and kind of if you can call it craft coffee as well getting slowly into that favourite beer oh that's not something I can I can bring to mind in these <laughs> in these minutes okay. um but I, I was listening to a podcast the other day. It's kind of a philosophy podcast. And they're talking about sacrifice and how things gain value through sacrifice. Um, and that's the kind of the, the new trends of kind of vinyl, hipster kind of culture where people put more time, more effort into making something that's a bit more specialist. And it becomes more valuable because the person's effort has gone into it. Whereas like the fast food, fast music, kind of pop music culture uh, is disposable because it's kind of quick production, quick in your mind and it goes yeah so i've uh, that made sense to me i think the things i enjoy are the things that are more sacrificial think people have taken time over so whether it's a craft beer where they've worked out a recipe whether it's a special brewery that's collaborated with another brewery uh bristol with sport for choice with yeah. craft beer so I spend quite a lot of time down at left handed giant um just off castle park uh or uh, wiper and true in st wersbergs or I mean, there's there's a bunch of Arbor and St. Phillips. Um, but the, the time and effort that goes into it, or, yeah, again, with coffee, mm. the specialist coffee shops where they really take the time with it. Yeah, some good, like, Sweven in Bedminster. Yeah. Shout out Sweven, by Little the Victories on Whopping Wharf, or Small Street Espresso, Playground Coffee. So we just made a coffee together now. We did. That was not a quick process, was it? No, no, it takes time. And that's the thing. You, I mean, years ago, we served on a, we used to, growing up, served on cafe teams at Soul Survivor Festival together as brothers with a couple of our mates. And Focus. And Focus Festival, the HTV Festival, when that started up. Um, particularly at Focus, we got some kind of specialist coffee training because they, uh, clients required a little bit higher standards. From the man, the legend. From Roland himself. Kingdom uh, Coffee. Kingdom Coffee. Shout out Kingdom Coffee. Uh, and yeah, main thing I took away from that, that was that good coffee takes time and the kind of the under extraction you get from Costa or Nero or mm. Starbucks, if I even say that word on the podcast. It's a, yeah, proper coffee takes time and therefore time is money. Time time is money, but time is value is is yeah. the is the core essence. So I appreciate things that take time.
So you are a youth worker now, as we started off with. Yes. Would you touch on how that came about, or maybe take it even a bit further back? How did your How did your journey into faith start? How did you? Tr- what was your life journey like? Sure. What was your whole life? What was your whole life? What's like? my whole life like? I was quite a lot of interconnection along the way, so I'll just I'll just start talking, and then I'll try and not take too long. But I suppose when it comes to youth work, there was a sense of inevitability about it because our dad was a youth worker, a youth work manager for Surrey County Council uh, until I was about. 19 that was what he was doing all my life he was doing young youth work yeah uh, mum was a teacher working at a college doing teacher education so both parents from a young age i was kind of flooded with a sense of the importance of investing in young people and the, the value that young people have to offer looking back now retrospectively there's no what no doubt that i was going to carry that forward into my life whatever that looked like yeah both of us and our other brother chris shout out chris shout out chris <laughs> um I've all carried through something of that. Chris has done a bit of teaching. You're a teacher now. I've done some youth I work am. at church. I've done some youth work. So we've all followed on from our parents, as I think a lot of people do. However hard we try not to. Yeah. Some try hard and others not to. Uh, I don't think I resisted too much. But that that becomes more clear why. We went to church. Growing up, mum and dad were at church. I was the, I'm the youngest, so... When I was born, we were all going to church, a vineyard church. Uh, until I was about five, you might have been seven. And at that point, we wanted to play rugby on a Sunday. So Sundays became rugby day. And our older brother, Chris, started singing the local parish church choir. So mum and Chris would go off to choir on a Sunday. Dad would distribute us to a local rugby club. Um, and between the age of five and 18 for me, church was not a thing on Sunday mornings because rugby was Sunday. Christmas and Easter, right? Christmas, Easter, yeah, a bit in the summer holidays during the off-season. We just, yeah, we played rugby on Sundays. So, although we were a Christian family, and uh, I mean, particularly Dad's parents were missionaries in North Africa. Mm-hmm. Dad grew up in Algeria. Strong Christian kind of input from from the family. Um, and Mum's Christian and raised in a Christian household, as you would say. It wasn't forced upon us. There was no expectation that we'd be going to church growing up. Um and so I think I always had an understanding in my mind that God was real. I didn't doubt that. But my experiences were lacking and I didn't have a, a youth worker or a children's mm. worker who was nurturing me uh, in faith, discipling me outside of the family. Uh, and so it was really when we got to secondary school, again, you went to the same secondary school as me, yeah. and you got there first and got involved with the Christian Union there. And so I came along year seven, joined the Christian Union, which was, I don't know, 50-50 social and faith, I would say. Certainly a lot more social than I see a lot of Christian unions. Yeah, for sure. We were, Wednesday evenings we met, out of school hours, whereas a lot of Christian unions I see nowadays run at like lunchtime, like short mm-hmm. little breaks. We did like a couple of hours, played music, played games, did sports, went on trip, loads of trips. I learned how to ice skate, got sick at Laser Quest, sick at bowling, all these sorts of things because of Gap, our Christian union. Yeah. Um, and therein I found a discipler. Ben Cole, our teacher, big shout, shout out, out to Ben, ben Cole, Cole <laughs> Mr. Cole, um, who I think, yeah, he was really a big support as a, he was the closest I had to a youth worker. Mm-hmm. And he was a teacher, electronics teacher at school, but he invested a lot of energy into us. Uh, and so from well, going to secondary school at 11 or tw- well, 11, I was, yeah, that was kind of it. Weekly Christian Union sessions became my church. And then big change came I think I was in summer of year eight for me, because I was 13. And we went to Soul Survivor Festival for the first time. And not going to a church meant that what I saw and witnessed there and experienced was kind of otherworldly to me, mm. seeing particularly 
the, I think it was the first night they invited the Holy Spirit to come in as, as they usually do. Um, and I became much more comfortable with that over time. But the first time seeing that and seeing people responding to the Holy Spirit, people screaming, people shaking, people falling over, people laughing, myself and my friend Sam, who was the same age as me, um, just we left. We left the big, big mm. top on the first night because it was bizarre. I didn't know what was going on. Unnerving. Very unnerving. Yeah, I'm, yeah. 13 year olds not used to that sort of thing. It was well explained and look, yeah, worked very well managed from the stage, but that was kind of didn't matter because it was ex- experience it was a lot, it was a lot overwhelming. So, um, but by the end of the week, it was clear to me that, particularly through the movement of the Holy Spirit, the teaching was great and the music was great and the experience was great and made a lot of friends. Mm. But the seeing the movement of the Holy Spirit made me see that my kind of head knowledge of there is a God wasn't enough and I had to make a decision about what I did with my life and so at that point I kind of that's when I see myself as coming to faith at 13 and so we fast forward a few years and same pattern Christian Union on a Wednesday night it's also every summer from well from that year 2006 through till it finished really mm. um, two years after that so then I was 15 as Soul Survivor was the first time I heard from God I didn't know what hearing from God was. Again, it was well explained, but I didn't always take it in. Um, and there's a prayer time where on the last morning every week, they pray for the youth workers. So there's youth workers, there's teachers, there's volunteers, there's youth pastors, all the young people go and pray for the people that brought them. And so we were there, Mr. Cole stands up and we're all praying for Mr. Cole and they, some of them go to the front, some of them stand where they are. And we're praying and I get this kind of sense slash voice in my head that says, one day that will be you. Yeah, and I, and I don't. As I said, I haven't got someone outside. I didn't want to talk to people about that. I felt weird. I didn't know what it was. I knew it wasn't me, but I didn't know what it was. Mm. And so I held on to that. And then over over the few years, I had a few kind of people sharing prophetic words with me about going into leadership and uh, a few opportunities to take lead on things like at Gap, our Christian Union. We ran a little local youth event. Uh, I got to kind of MC that and sort of help organise that. We were very kind of quite good at youth participation in that sense. So um, got a bit more exposure and experience. And then it was about 17 or so. And I knew by that point that I was going into youth ministry. And it was again at Source Survivor, really clearly this time knowingly heard from God, you need to equip yourself. Because, mm. yeah, not going to church for 17 years of my life, really, or 12 years, but minus the first five. Didn't really know much about the Bible. I read it a fair bit, but I didn't know much about it. I didn't have any theory. How was I going to teach these young people if I didn't know about yeah. it myself? So that's when I discovered that theology was a thing. Up to that point, I thought I was going to go off and study archaeology, do some history type stuff. Shout out Indiana Jones. Big shout out Indiana Jones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I looked into it. I thought, okay, I've got to take it seriously then. I'm going to quit myself. Mm. Um, and so I looked at theology degrees uh, and then applied across the board and went to visit Exeter University and my first day there, I went to visit twice. I went once with my mum and once with my dad. Then first time I was with my mum. And just really, as we were walking through the streets of Exeter, really felt a sense of belonging. Like, this is this is where I'm meant to be. And so I really, every other department we visited in the country, the other universities went to visit, I kind of knew Exeter was where I was going to go. So I um, so I studied in Exeter for three years, got a theology degree, thought I'd be set. And then realised when I looked at youth work jobs that actually no church is going to take you on for a youth work job without youth work experience or mm. youth work qualifications and I had neither of those all I have is a theology degree which I could tell you about ancient Mesopotamia I could tell you about 
uh, kind of post-Holocaust Jewish theology, but I couldn't, yeah, I had no youth work experience. I did like one one of the bit years of helping out with the youth group at my uni church, which had three young people, brother and two sisters, um, who basically ran it themselves. So, um, so then I started looking around, and I found Swim Southwest Youth Ministries. We mentioned those a few times on the podcast, and uh, they offered youth work experience, exposure, uh, as well as training. So I'd get a qualification at the end of two years, and two years worth of youth work experience, and I'd be set. So that's what I did. So I applied for a church in Bristol, and uh, I mean, I was going to say long story short, it's quite long. Long story, slightly shorter, got the job at Resounds as a youth work trainee, trained there for two years, met my now wife, Emily, uh, and then at the same time, at the end of 2016, we both finished our time at Swim, we applied and got the job at Resounds, job sharing youth work role, moved into a new place and got married, so... Yeah, that's how I got into youth work. Yeah, talk about diving into the deep end. <coughs> yeah, yeah, it was a, a big change. Um, my time over my time at Swim, I was really fortunate to be really well supported. Swim, something they do very well is network support. Uh, I had people within the organisation who supported me well. Resound was very accepting, very mm. welcoming. They supported me really well. A uh, line manager is now one of my better mates. Shout out Matt, who, out who will Matt. be listening, I'm sure. Um, I felt really well supported and kind of encouraged to just do our try out some stuff in youth mm. work. <clears throat> I thought when I first heard that kind of sense from God that I should be going into youth ministry, that that meant I'd be running Bible studies for church kids. And then I get to resound and I'm doing some detached work. I'm out in the streets giving hot chocolates to random kids I'd never met. Mm. I'm going to local schools to do some mentoring. I these kind of young people with lives who I could not imagine. I was running youth events for the local area for multiple churches. Uh, we're doing all sorts. Yeah. Running an open access youth club for 80 kids. Like I had no idea, but I got exposure to all this different stuff, which I'm really grateful for now. Mm. Um, I think those first two years really gave me a sense of, okay, now I'm here. What is my passion? What am I most skilled at? What am I most interested in? And what would I want to develop in? Yeah. So... That's how I did, yeah, two years at Resound, just kind of discovering that and learning about that. So good. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would just say, like, definitely you should never underestimate the power of a testimony. Um, I have a very similar similar testimony to yours in the fact that I grew up knowing who God was. I grew up not having any doubts that, that God was real. Um, probably much like yourself, sort of got to a point at Soul Survivor one year where I had to think, you know what, either... I choose to follow this by myself or I, I do something else and obviously I I chose the route of following and uh, yeah if I'm honest I was I grew up probably feeling somewhat ashamed of my testimony you know f- feeling like you hear all these stories these amazing stories of young people coming to God and thinking was I, like standard raising a Christian yeah. household and, all, all. and I felt like I missed out on that like I'd been deprived of <coughs> of some sort of amazing story that's going to make people think oh this is so good yeah yeah and it wasn't, it honestly wasn't until probably the age of, I don't know, 25, something. And there was a men's night at church, the church that I go to, St. John's Hampton Wick, shout out. Please shout out. And uh, the, m- the majority of the participants that night were dads of children that are currently in the youth group that I was working in. Mm. And I was asked to tell my testimony and I said, I said to the pastor, look, is there someone else you can ask? There's, there's really nothing to tell. And he said, no, 
you just need to be bold, step out and do your thing. So I stepped out, did my testimony, felt very awkward doing so, thinking that, you know, this is nothing. And suddenly, within a few minutes, I was inundated with, with all the dads from the church saying, this is so amazing, like, it's so good to hear that you could be raised in a Christian family, which is what I'm trying to do with my son or my daughter right now. And actually, they can leave to university and they can follow on that journey by themselves. Mm. Um, and they were blown away by the testimony, which I never believed it could have any strength. And I just think, as youth workers, church workers, and there's probably having young people that have similar testimonies, like we need to encourage all of our young people to to take ownership of their testimonies because actually you never know who it's going to touch and when it's going to be needed, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a big part of the heart behind this podcast to start with is not just to find out what, what youth work's going on in the city of Bristol and the area, but yeah what is that god's done in people's lives mm. those that are doing youth work or volunteering their time what would make them make that decision uh hearing the stories of the few individuals that we can get um but yeah hopefully that does encourage people to go and ask people because our churches or friendship groups or families are full of stories of every person's got a story they? of yeah how they got sure. to where they are whether that's they've lost faith found faith found work had success found failure whatever it is you can like, mm. there's so much to learn from all those stories that's why I love doing this, yeah. yeah. So you ended up working at Resound. You got you said you got the job there with Emily job sharing. Um Yeah, yeah. So we um we job shared uh very well matched in a professional capacity that Emily's heart and she had some more experience than I had at this point. But her heart and passion really was for discipleship, working with a church group of young people. Bible study, all the stuff that I thought at first I'd be doing. Um, whereas quick, quickly in my in my training, I I found I had a real heart for the community, the the outward focused stuff, the mentoring, the detached work, particularly. Yeah. Um, I just I kind of took on and they became my main things. So Emily and I quite quickly divided amongst ourselves, and then it became an official thing uh, that she would do kind of the discipleship type stuff, and I became the community youth worker. If there's people listening that haven't heard the maybe come from a smaller church they don't have the resources or or for whatever reason haven't heard this what detached is what can you quickly I- explain what what you mean by that yeah um i guess detached work really the, the detached part of it is that it's not attached to a project a thing or a place so for, for in our instance we we fill up some flowers with some hot chocolate and we'll go out into our local area in emerson's green mangotsfield down end staple hill and we'll go to well, over time, you get to know where the young people hang out. But we'll, at first, it was just going out, looking for where young people might be hanging out and chatting to them, saying hello, introducing ourselves, saying we're local youth workers, um, seeing what they need, yeah, seeing what their needs are, if there's anything we can help support them with. Um, and, I mean, the, the hot chocolate really is a way of... I heard someone say it once that you shouldn't expect something for nothing. So... It is weird. It's all the whole thing's weird. That's that, that that goes without saying. You go out to a random group of young people, you don't know I'm an adult, they're a young person. Hello, we'd like to talk to you. It doesn't happen outside of this context really, when they're in their own space and their own time, their own territory. Well they're told not to talk to strangers, right? Well yeah, from a young age, don't take sweets from strangers and we're there trying to lure them in with hot chocolate for a conversation. But um they're grateful for it largely. Very, very few I mean six years now I've been doing detached work, very, very few negative responses, if any. Um, but the positive responses are immense because young people, firstly, across the board, 
uh, looking for people to listen to them. So they want to share. They've got thoughts and opinions that in school don't often get heard, at home don't always get heard. Um, they want to be valued. Uh, and so we can go and give them that value. We can share in that time with them and listen to them, mm-hmm. be an encouragement. Again, schools don't always encourage them. Families don't always encourage them. Friends don't always encourage them. We g- Quite quickly, you find that if you build a relationship through detached work, you can be one of the most important voices in the life of a young person because you could be the only person for them who's encouraging them, building them up, supporting them. I don't know if there's a direct correlation. There is quite a lot who 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 are out there because they don't want to be at home on an evening. Yeah. Home's not a happy place to be. They don't they don't feel relaxed, they don't feel safe there necessarily. So they feel safe in their own space, which is sat at the back of a Sainsbury's car park with a couple of their mates having a cigarette or a joint or whatever. Mm. And we go to them. Because if we don't, who will? Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I mean I remember asking a a kid in a skate park once how you doing and he's saying what do you mean how am i doing i said how how are you he said no one ever asked me that why why do you need to know well i don't need to know but you know i i care about how you're feeling yeah and it's it just shocked me that there's kids at home whose whose parents won't even ask them how's your day yeah i mean so much we can take for granted but definitely you can't underestimate the value of caring genuinely caring um and you never know what's going on in the lives of these young people. But a simple question like that can unlock a whole load of stuff that they haven't yeah. got anyone else to talk to. Um, so it really does make a big difference. So, yeah, I, 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 all the kind of the reason I fell in love with it was all those things. Seeing mm. seeing that in in practice over years, seeing those relationship build up with young people who didn't connect with things and having laughs with them, having fun with them quite often it'd be really silly for one minute and then you can get into a deep conversation because they know I'm an adult but they know also that I'm a Christian, I'm a youth worker they're interested to know what I think about these same things that they think about so you could be in the middle of a random conversation and they'll ask about what happens when we die or I don't know you have people whose whose pets have died are there, are there animals in heaven I said, I don't know, let's mm. just think about that together we can join in the conversation it's not, as with any youth work I don't think it's like giving answers exploring those questions with them so is it your is it your intention to to tell them about jesus to, to lead with all that stuff or you know we're from a church we're here to do this or is it it's just part and parcel of the the way we deliver uh at resound has been uh we don't we don't leave without make it clear from the start we're from resound uh that's kind of because of the geography of our area that's quite a well-known building people don't often know it's a church so we We'll say we're from Resounds. Oh, I've seen that place. It's a, uh, it's a church. We're, oh, does that mean you're Christians? Oh, yeah, yeah, we are Christians. Mm. Okay. And then they, sometimes that will start an initial conversation. Sometimes they'll kind of let that go, and we'll follow up with another question about them. Um, very, we're not, we're not, we're not evangelists. We're not going out there trying to convert all these young people. We're youth workers primarily who care about these young people that otherwise don't get cared for. Um, and so it happens we're Christians. And more often than not, that, that comes up in conversations mm. because as we build relationship, they appreciate them more and they might not have another Christian in their life they could ask these questions to. And that's quite over the generations. I mean, a couple of generations ago, our grandparents sort of age, tradition was you went to church and you all, all you went to Sunday school and you had that sort of education. And then we, in our parents' generation, um, or like two above where the young people are now, there's a there's a missing generation where there's more freedom of choice. Mm. Families didn't traditionally then go to church, and so 
you've got a generation of young people now who are sometimes one or two generations removed from any sort of church exposure. Church education system doesn't do a massive job of explaining the Christian faith. I mean, it, the RE curriculum tries to cover all things fairly, and I think that's the right way of doing it, but what they don't get is specialist voices, expert voices from the church or from the mosque or synagogue, wherever it is, teaching these young people the ways of their cultures, their traditions. Um, so they often don't have any experience of this, any understanding, really. So, I mean, the f- first few times of going out detached, I remember having conversations about, oh, yeah, my nan went to church. Isn't it all just like pews and hymns and it's kind of really stale? And I say, well, no, actually, we've got uh, our church. We have a band and they're kind of a more like a rock band you'd see on TV or in the charts or whatever. Um, we've got a nice big building. You've seen that we invite them into the building. They mm. see the building. It's not a kind of pews and kind of cold and organ type thing. No, no problem with that. Yeah, no, no problem with that at all. But I think essentially um, part of my there's two two real value I think to detach work. Two things I want to get out of it is one is to try and change their view, their perception on adults. Mm-hmm. Try to form a positive relationship with an adult with a young person that they might not otherwise have and the other thing is trying to change their perception of christians and christianity because a lot of the time it's negative it's they picked up more from the simpsons from ned flanders or south park or whoever they're watching on tv mm. than an actual real life christian so to show them we're not all kind of stiff shirted kind of rule keepers tell them off for swearing or whatever like we're not about that and they they don't know that we're not about that until they meet someone but not with the intention of bringing them to faith just with the intention of just getting rid of that stigma and yeah essentially trying to trying to show them what what christianity looks like or can look like for us what our faith means to our lives <coughs> and invariably that does then lead to some sort of there's a there's a thing called the engel scale which goes from minus 10 to plus 10 and then zero is the cross um and the, the idea is that your discipleship means that you're moving forwards and you might be taking steps towards the cross or once you've kind of that's the point of conversion or finding faith, and after that you're developing, you're you're growing in your faith, and you're going mm-hmm. plus one, plus two, whatever. Now some of these young people we're meeting, they're they're minus ten, minus nine. They're they're well off the point of finding faith and barring anything miraculous or answered to prayer, which is very possible. Doesn't always happen though. Um, my goal is to see them grow, to see them grow five or six. So if I can see a young person who starts off hating Christians, they think they hate all gay people, they think they they don't care about this, that, that and the other. They, they kind of brought about slavery or whatever it might be. If we can change their perception and show them, they might warm to the idea. They might have some questions themselves that then yeah. feel safe to ask. And you can see them moving a couple of steps closer to that cross. It's not about getting them there. No. It's about seeing them grow as individuals, but also showing their understanding growing. Baby steps. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Some of them are ready for that big step. Some of them are holding back because they haven't had the chance. You give them a chance and they'll leap for it. But a lot of times it's baby steps, yeah. yeah. So I know I know one of your favourite questions is to ask people for their favourite youth work story. Just to follow the trend of what we've been talking about. Do you have a go-to or a favourite detached story? Yeah, I think... I'm not afraid to say that I enjoy the part of my youth work where I find myself in difficult situations. Those make my favourite stories. And that will reflect on what I share, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I've had some nice times where you get to play a game of basketball with some young people, and I love basketball, and so I'm getting paid, essentially, to... My job is play basketball with some young people, and that, that's youth work. Great, I love that. Mm. Um, 
and basketball can bring people to the cross. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's the thing with the hot chocolate. I think it's like a. I thought about writing a book about stories of detached work called like hot, like hot chocolate gospel type thing because by cup by cup you're warming them towards it sort of thing. I mean, a bit tacky, but you know. Hot chocolate. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't go much for floater. And like, no, that's so much. I think about it. Yeah, I have a thing. Um, but a lot of my st- yeah, my favourite detached memories are ones where I feel like it's chaos. So times went out, went out to the Emerson's Green Park, and there's a group of fifty young people. Bear in mind, the normal na- not detached, you might see twenty over a two-hour window. There might be five here, five there, mm. seven or eight here. Get to the park. It's a group of about fifty young people all together. Some beefs going on. They're all really hyped, and we're trying to step into this. To have so, uh, it's a point where normally you think, okay, let's try and have a normal conversation, a bit of a routine. Here, like thrown in the deep end, intervention work. What do we do? Hey guys, here's some hot chocolate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you haven't got enough hot chocolate for fifty of them. There's not going to be a kind of feeling of a five thousand type thing going on. So, um, seeing this, and then obviously there's some in the back, and they're more than happy to tell you what's going on. Like, oh, so and so is having a fight with so and so. And these young people are moving around the area trying to find these, like, one person trying to find another group that's going to have this fight. <laughs> I couldn't, I mean, at this point, I'm probably like 21, 22. So, and some of them are 17, 18. So we're not that far off in age. No. I mean, there's a, there's a world between our experience, but we're not that far off in age. Um, I caught, caught myself between responsible adult, which I don't feel like I'm a responsible adult here, but trying to do something. Like, we might be the only ones that can do anything here. Security aren't around, police aren't on their way. Um, and also, like, trying to not get caught up in excitement of this is so buzzy, like, I kind of the adrenaline kicks fight, here, like, fight, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you were chasing these people. In the end, it turned out nothing really, nothing really came to. Um, and we did actually end up getting to have a lot of good conversation with a lot of young people. But those moments, we had a couple of moments, we've had young people have run into the police, and we've mm. been there in the middle of it, trying to kind of mediate. Um, and yeah, that doesn't sound like an ideal situation, have young people kind of clashing with police. But those are my favorite moments because it's like, you could see more tangibly the difference we're making that if we weren't there, that might have ended up much worse than the fact that we were there. So, um, yeah, then my best attached memories, aside from the, the general fact that I g- that this is work and I just get to hang out with young people, chat and play basketball or throw around a nerf in the pitch black and this, you just hear this whistle and you don't know where it's going. And there's a lot of sketchy moments mm. that I think quite fun. I find quite fun. Yeah. So your best moments, also your worst moments. Maybe my favourite youth work story of all time from my life as a youth worker is my is also my worst experience, which ties in with my, I like being in those situations, which is like unbelievable. <clears throat> so we've got a local young offenders unit in Emerson's Green. And we've gone in a few times, kind of at some point, it was kind of once a month, once every other month to do an assembly. There's 25 young people in there, mostly young offenders, a couple of social care needs. And um, ages. They're aged kind of 12 to 18. Okay. And at first, I was kind of nervous going in. You don't know what to expect. And you go into this room, it's quite comfortable. Most of them just sit there, do nothing, and you kind of do your spiel. Not a lot of positive feedback because mm-hmm. they kind of, I guess, they don't want to look like they're engaging or they genuinely weren't engaging. But I've gone in with some colleagues before and you play some games or do like a show of funny video or whatever and try and get a positive message across. Not explicitly Christian, but like be encouraged about this sort of thing. And there's one time, so uh, at this. When I first went in, we had three of us, team of three. <clears throat> the one of our colleagues uh, moves on from the role. Another colleague is ill and off. So it comes to a point where I'm going in on my own to deliver this assembly. Now, I don't mind. I'm happy to go in there. I like that part of the job. Was that allowed? Yeah, it was allowed. Yeah, they yeah. I, mean, got, I mean, there's for 25 young people, there's probably 
15, 16 staff on at a time. And at this point in time, they're all in the same room, largely apart from those who have to be isolated. So you've got 20 in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got five staff in the room. There's a see-through window and a uh, kind of a viewing room. There's another five staff on hand. So it's n- there's no risk at their part. They're happy me to come in. Nothing expected. So I come in. And it was it was not a good assembly. We've had a couple of stories in this podcast about assemblies going badly in schools. I mean, this I it wasn't a great, uh, it wasn't great delivery. No one was picking up when I was laying down. Just trying to, I think I was trying to preach a message of hope. It might be around the new year time, the New Year's resolutions. How can we have a positive start to the rest of our lives, sort of mm-hmm. thing? Start the rest of our lives, sort of message. But I mean, you know, I I do. We're only there for fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, or something. I do ten minutes, fifteen minutes, finish up my part. Obviously, didn't go down well. They didn't care less. They just wanted to get on with their day. And so then the head of education comes up. Actually, no, the head of education wasn't there, our main contact. Someone else, one of the other staff, comes up and explains, these guys are going off to this lesson because they have class, so that you're going off to here, you're going off to here. There's a kind of stirring in the room. I'm sat there by my laptop, just kind of waiting for this all to finish. They go off, and I pack up and go. And then kind of towards the end of this time, it's probably two or three minutes from being done, and everyone's out of the room. Suddenly, one young person runs at this other young person and starts attacking them. Another person joins in, so there's two on one. So it's like everyone starts getting real like loud. And and it's like a bundle. I'm just sat there watching the bundle. All the staff run in, start piling on in this, this group, trying to kind of separate them all, whatever. Hard to do. Kind of really laying into each other, these young people. What no one else knew was this was a decoy. I didn't know. They didn't know. Staff didn't know. <clears throat> this was a decoy that some of the young people had planned. So they go and start fighting here. Staff will run them to that. When actually that was a decoy. So these other young people go and start on this person they really wanted to get. So they start. They run across the other side of the room, start attacking this other young person. Classic. More group, bigger group, start attacking this one young person. More stuff to come in. I'm just sat there this whole time on my laptop, having done a really shoddy assembly on hope and like New Year's aspirations. Just like oh, and, I, and then in a moment. A little bit like a kind of a president on those TV shows where they get ushered out. Some one security one security guard staff member comes in and is like, "Mike, come on, come on!" So I yank my laptop out, grab my bag, and just kind of get ushered out the room into this secure room next to like a locked meeting room where I get held for a few minutes while I try and settle this all down. So I did an assembly that was so bad it started a prison riot. Yeah, and I was caught <laughs> right in the middle of it. And, uh, yeah, definitely the worst experience, but again, probably my favourite experience because it was just. That Unbelievable. Was, that was the last time you were invited back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went back I went back a couple of times after. And actually it was one of those things where they, those young people I mean it's quite a quick turnover of young people, but those young people that were there, they remembered that. That was quite a big event. It doesn't happen a lot in the prison. It, right. and you get the kind of idea from prison documentaries or whatever that and it's not like that there. It's generally quite good. So they all remembered the one time it all kicked off and I was there. So a few of the older ones that kind of respected me a bit because they're like, Oh, you've come back, you're the one that was here when so and so did this. I was like, Yeah, that was me. So, um, yeah, it worked out all right in the end. And I went back a few times, but, uh, yeah, a bit of a wild one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, it's good that I don't. I know that nothing I do will ever be so bad that it will end up like that again. Um, so it's a bit of a relief. I'm very aware of the time. Yeah, that's all right. Um, but I think it's important to mention you're no longer at Resound, or at least you're no longer there in your capacity as youth worker. Yeah. And you're now working for Creative Youth Network, CYN. Yeah, that's right. Um, shout out, CYN. Big shout out, CYN. 
I know yep. that you've you've had another guest on from CYN, is that right? Yeah, we had Luke on last episode actually. Um, Luke did a really good job of sharing kind of the heart of CYN and okay. some of the stuff we do there. So um, I scrapped my next question. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But you're doing some other stuff with CYN now, specifically sort of targeted around detached work. Are you or? Yeah, I do. I do. The opportunity came up. So I, as I say, I, right at the start, I started my new role within CYN in April, uh, and that came about partly because for about a year and a bit. Had this stirring. We we had some uh, conversations at Resound, and I had some conversation with Emily about the future. I had the stirring that maybe I should be the one to do something different. That maybe it was a time to move on. Um, and I started looking for some jobs, and there's I mean, there's a few youth work organisations based in Bristol. Um, but also, as I said earlier, in those first couple of years, I got a real sense of the things I was passionate about, and that was particularly the mentoring side of things in mm-hmm. s- in local secondary schools uh, under the such work. Um, and see why in a large part of what we do is one-to-one support. So I've got a caseload of young people. Uh, at the moment, I've got about 16 or so young people that I support one-to-one, which is essentially a mentoring relationship. Um, and then on top of that, they do youth go access, youth clubs, uh, and some detached work. So the, kind of the things I'm most passionate about within youth work, this was a job where that was what you did, and it was full-time. So um, kind of, yeah, I thought about it, and that felt like the right thing to do. So, yeah, as I say, it's still at Resound, part of the leadership there, still mm-hmm. helping with their youth work. But, um, yeah, to move on to a, a city-wide organisation as well, where they got a vision for the, for the whole of Bristol. We're, we were, well, me, Emily, and then one or two other staff and volunteers for youth work in our area. I think we made a really good impact, and we connected well with other churches and still do. But to be part of a big organisation with a big team and to see the impact across the city that this organisation has is really cool. So I'm enjoying being part of something bigger, uh, kind of a city-wide project, but also doing the parts of youth work that I'm most passionate and I think most skilled in, uh, I get to do those more. So looking, <coughs> looking ahead of this time, uh, post Corona, post COVID, if we ever get there, um, do you think youth work and detached will be will be changed forever as a result, or do you think it will it will stay much the same? Do you, what's your vision for the? I mean, we we quite often we talk on this podcast about well, ask everyone what they think about the future of youth work. And it's only occurred to me when I thought when we decided we were going to be having this conversation. Well, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes which says, there's nothing new under the sun. And it, it occurred to me that despite all the change, technology changes, you see kind of society change, but the heart of youth work I don't think ever changes. And that's the advantage of having a, a dad who was a youth worker. Mm-hmm. The heart of youth work is relationship, building those relationships with the young people. That was just, that would have been the, the caveman if they had youth workers. That would have been the purpose thousand years time the year 3000 like busted underwater shout out busted oh, i'm not gonna go that far <laughs> <laughs> and the purpose will still be young people need their needs are are fundamental their kind of superficial needs are different ways of engaging might be different the tools you use are different and certainly lockdown has shown that we have to adapt and be flexible as youth workers but the core heart of youth work is building relationship for me is for, is building relationship with young people mm-hmm. i don't know will ever change and I, th- I think things will come and things will go. But it's about how do we build a relationship with these young people in this time, in this culture. And largely I've seen that happening through authenticity, not trying to be something you're not, just being yourself, genuinely caring. As I said about detached work, being one of those people that will genuinely listen, genuinely cares what they have to say, will kind of advocate for them when they need it, will support them when they need it, will pick them up when they need it. I think that is the most important thing is having a healthy re- healthy relationship with an adult or with someone else mm. they might have a healthy relationship in their life so i don't think yeah yeah 
sure coronavirus has changed a lot. And we've, as I say, we've had to adapt and we might have lost some young people from parts of our delivery, might have picked up some in other parts of our delivery. But fundamentally, I don't think, I think the future of youth work is the same as the past. It's building relationship with young people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about being aware of the culture, the times you're in and the ways of operation and how best to engage with them. Um, so the vision is just keep it moving, keep it rolling, keep plugging in. Yeah, and when we when you lose that heart, that's when you see, particularly when the church world, you see churches that try to attract, and they'd be too attractional, and they'll put on big events or shiny new technology or whatever it is. And you, but if you haven't got those people, who've got the heart, who are going to sit down and listen to a young person, they don't care. I mean, more and more, they don't care if you've got like a PS Five, a youth club, or whatever. They'll sooner or later they'll have one of those at home. But what they don't have at home might be someone who's going to sit there and ask them, as you said earlier, "How are you?" Yeah. That will always be the most important question. Well, it seems funny asking you if you have anything that you want to plug, <coughs> given that you started this podcast <laughs> with your team. But um, podcast aside and season two aside, is there any anything upcoming that we should be excited for? Or yeah, well, as I said, we've got a couple of guests lined up for the second series of the podcast. I know you said aside from the podcast, but do go back and listen to them. I'm really grateful for everyone who's been on so far and people that have uh, got coming up. I think it's really important to hear people's stories. I mean, in life, what have you got? But to listen to people, to learn from each other and grow together. Mm-hmm. So this is a great... I really enjoy this as a means of doing that. So plug the podcast, share it around. Pe- people that might be interested they don't have to be Christians, they don't have to be youth workers, they can be whoever. Um, yeah, I also want to learn from lots of people. Outside of that, we've got a few uh, scheduled... Bristol Youth Ministry Network. We got our schedule up for 2021, starting the first half up till summer. We've got some really great stuff. I think in February we've got uh, kind of a session around innovation with some virtual reality type stuff and looking at how we innovate in our youth work and be creative around supporting young people. That's the kind of the how do we use the, nice. the culture and the times and the technology to support and kind of engage with young people. So that'd be really great. We've got some great stuff coming up later in the year. What Tim Alford at some point, Paul Friend. Other people talking to us about kind of youth ministry and their experiences. So, mm-hmm. yeah, as I said earlier, bymn.org is a website, uh, beautifully defined, designed by Emily. Um, we should shout out Emily, right? Yeah, massive shout out to Emily. Shout she out, Emily. She's a lot of hard work. Shout out, sis. And a big shout out to Joel Preston as well. Joel and Emily yeah. as a. Big up yourself, Joel. <laughs> Bristol Youth <laughs> Ministry Network team do a lot of hard work, putting on these great events, great resources, pulling together resources. Um, so yeah, I mean the heart behind really, particularly resourcing, <laughs> is to see that Bristol's res- well resourced from a from a centralised point, so that people can come to our website, they can find session plans, resources on different topics, mm-hmm. they'll find people that are sharing on different ideas, they can find other youth workers to network with and talk to. Um, the, the ministry network part is yeah, working together, supporting one another, and kind of building God's kingdom in Bristol and in the areas around it um, through supporting young people. Yeah. Nice. And um I mean one last shout out shout out to you, man. Thank you very much. Um, Why for? Just I mean, I'm super proud of you as a brother and it's like it's so good to see what you're doing in Bristol and just the mo- the movement that you st- not the movement that you're starting, but the movement that you're riding. Um and I just hope anyone <laughs> anyone that's still listening got something from these ramblings. Um Yeah, for sure. And I I'm so aware of what privilege it is and what privileged position I'm in to, to be part of all this stuff and 
largely for me it's just been put my hand up and going for it when there's opportunities so <clears throat> particularly anyone who's listening is part of Bristol youth work scene would love to see more people involved with the Bristol Youth Ministry Network but also just kind of offering up what they have what their gifts and skills are and that's part of what I'm doing is I love I love interviewing and I love chatting with people and so this is one of the ways I I am giving and trying to kind of build the the life of Bristol youth work um so I, I'm really grateful that people have listened at all yeah um and I hope that that carries on and this can be a real blessing to people but yeah I want to well mostly just want to encourage other people who might have other means of blessing and encouraging us to to do so and to step up 100 percent well, thanks again for having me. Thank you so much for doing um, it. I appreciate no, it's, it. It's a pleasure, man. It's nice. It's a good way to catch you for however long it's been. Yeah. Um, and Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, Happy New Year. Let's hope it's a good one. And if not, we're in it together. Um, yeah, and don't forget to get in touch with us all, keep in touch with each other, keep taking care of yourselves and one another. And um, as I said, we'll be back with Series 2 of the Bristol Youth Work Podcast fairly soon. We've got one more, actually, a, a bonus episode coming oh. out early in January very nice so um, keep an eye out for that that's a special treat from someone far more qualified than I am uh, with far more interesting things to say so you can look out for that and shortly after that we'll kick off series 2 with some great guests and some great input but I'm looking forward to it man good I'm looking forward to it too until then take care thank you for listening and we'll see you next time peace